0: Hey, hey friends, welcome back. Thanks as always for joining me on this episode of Keto for Women and happy 2019 first episode of the new year. I hope you all had an amazing holiday, a really great New Year celebration and are now back to real life. I'm getting back to real life myself. After a whirlwind past few days, it has been spending time with family and friends and my partner's family and traveling all over the state. It was just great, but very eventful and a little bit exhausting. I'm not going to lie. I think you all can agree with me that you're kind of in that place right now where we're ready for life to get back to normal so that it can slow down a little bit and we can get back to our lovely routines. I'm a creature of habit. And I know a lot of you out there are with me on that one. So happy new year, everybody. And I hope there's a bunch of you out there turning over a new leaf this year or continuing on a trend you were already doing of making it the year of health. That's what I'm doing. That's what my every year from now on will be. And I know there's a lot of you out there with me on that one too. So cheers to that. Before we move into today's episode, I want to introduce you to our newest keto for women partner, For Sigmatic. For Sigmatic is a superfood company that specializes in mushroom-based drinks to benefit our immunity energy, and longevity. Now, it may seem a little bit weird to base a whole line of products around mushrooms, but these aren't just any old mushrooms from the grocery store. Four Sigmatic believes in the real magic of functional mushrooms, such as lion's mane, chaga, and cordyceps to enhance people's lives and health. They use these powerful mushrooms in things like coffee, tea, hot cacaos, and elixirs so we can get all of the benefits within the things we are consuming daily already. Important to note right here and right now that none of these products actually taste like mushrooms. They taste like they're supposed to taste. They come in easy single-serve packets, tins for at-home use, and even K-cup coffee pods for all you Keurig users out there. I first tried Four Sigmatic Coffee with Lion's Mane back at a conference I was at a few years ago. I had a sample and I was instantly hooked because I felt different than just drinking regular coffee. It wasn't like this weird, jittery caffeine feeling that I normally get. I think you all know I don't handle caffeine all that well. It was like a different kind of focus and sustainable energy coming from drinking just this little packet of coffee. It was the lion's mane that was working for me instead of just hopping myself up on all this caffeine. I loved it. I still love it. Right now, I'm crushing on their chai latte when I need a little midday warm-up because it's cold where I live right now, and I need these midday hot drinks, and I'm all about their chai latte. It is so delicious and really hits the spot for a little midday treat. The convenience of these single-serve packets are so nice. You just mix them into water. You can take them anywhere, put them in your lunch bag or your purse, your backpack, and you have these really easy drinks ready to go. I personally also add in coconut cream to make them a little frothy, delicious, keto-friendly drink. I highly recommend doing that for you all, too. You will absolutely love it. Right now, as a partner of the Keto for Women show... They are giving our listeners fifteen percent off of your order when you head to foursigmatic slash Sean. That's four F-O-U-R-Sigmatic S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C. S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C. Dot com slash Sean. Use the coupon code Sean for your 15% off. Of course, that's S-H-A-W-N. Again, sigmatic.com slash Sean. Use coupon code Sean for 15% off. Thank you so much to FourSigmatic for helping bring this show to air today. All right, we have a keto hot seat episode for you today, brand new questions. I reached out a few days ago over on my social media channels for new hot seat questions, got some really good ones. We're going to tackle hopefully quite a few of those today. I want to jump right in because not really a whole lot in the way of announcements. The Fat-Burning Female Project January 2019 class is underway officially starting today. So we'll have that going on. I'll have some updates for you coming from class as they happen. Other than that, we are just rocking it over here in the Sean Minor holistic health world. So nothing new to report just yet, but there will be soon. Of course, as always. Instead, let's just get right to these questions. For those that are new to the show, just in case you have not heard a hot seat episode before, the way it works, I ask for questions from the listeners over on my social media channels, both Instagram and Facebook. They are just general questions, quick answers, hopefully for the most part, although I'm very bad at that, which you will soon learn. And I just take those questions one by one, go through them as quickly as I can, make sure to get the answer to you and move on. So that's what we'll do today. That's what. Every Keto Hot Seat episode will be, and the only questions I don't answer are the ones that have been answered in the past. So if you did submit a question and you don't hear an answer to yours, it's because it's already out there somewhere and you'll just have to go back. You can head to my website, seanminer.com, and just search your topic and it will pull up all of the episodes where I talked about that topic. Super easy. So head over there if you don't hear an answer to what you're looking for, because it already happened. It's really getting to be quite common that that is the case. I've answered so many questions now after the 82nd episode, so there should be some really good answers out there for you already. All right. Without further ado, let's do number one. Do you test your ketones anymore? And if so, how often? Is there a number you like to be at? Thanks for all of your incredible content. Thank you for listening. It's very sweet of you. I personally, at this point, do not test my ketones. So how my history has worked, I have been in ketosis following a ketogenic diet for over two years. The first probably I'd say three months, I tested my ketones quite regularly, say every couple of days I would test my ketones because I was learning what my body needed to stay in ketosis, what got it out of ketosis, just using all that as information about what my keto diet would look like. From there, I learned basically how it felt when I was in and out of ketosis. So I no longer had to base it off of the number that I was getting on my ketone meter. I could base it off how I was feeling because it was quite clear when I was in ketosis and when I was out of ketosis. So at that point, I really just started testing only if I wanted to look at the impact a certain food would have on my ketone readings. So that was when I was really low carb, but occasionally I would add back in some sweet potato or a piece of fruit or something that just happened to kind of sneak into my diet and I wanted to see how my blood sugar slash ketone readings were affected by that. That was again how I was able to tailor my version of the keto diet for me because I was able to find those foods that worked for me. Even if they were higher carb foods, they still made me feel really good and still kept me in ketosis and it was all good. So that's how I continued to refine and design, I guess, my own diet for me, which is what I recommend all of you do for you too, instead of looking at what I'm doing, looking at what your neighbor's doing, looking at what some other blogger or podcaster is doing. That's not the right thing for your body necessarily. The right thing is what you should be doing based on what your body is telling you. So that's how it went for me with testing for a long time, was just kind of using them, I would say, maybe once a month or so if something different happened to my diet. And then I would say within the past three to six months, I haven't tested altogether because what changed for me in the past few months is my need to be in ketosis. I needed the power of the ketones for the past probably year and a half because I was sick and I was getting well. So I needed those ketones to help with my healing journey. Now I'm fully healed. I have been for a long time. Now I feel really good, better than I have in my whole life. That is very much a sustained feeling, pretty much 24-7. So I don't need the power of ketones every second of every day, because I'm now well, I've now taught my body how to become fat adapted, how to burn fat as fuel when there is no glucose. So I'm very much in a place of metabolic flexibility. So if I do have more carbohydrates, I burn through that glucose very quickly. And then I go back to producing ketones and burning off fat as fuel. I also have learned so much about my body in the past few years that I know what foods do and don't work for me, what foods I feel good eating versus what foods I don't feel good eating. And really, that's the most important thing for me. I enjoy my food. I enjoy my diet, my lifestyle. I am happy with where I'm at. So adding in that step of tracking ketones doesn't really hold the same importance as it once did. Now, I am definitely, of course, still a huge advocate of the keto diet. I want you all to use the benefits of ketone production to get where you need to be to feel basically this way, where you understand your body and you feel really good health-wise and diet-wise and everything feels like it's in alignment and then perhaps you wouldn't need to test either. So that's where I'm at. Personally, you all are obviously at different points along your own journey and I'm here to support you in that. And that for me is just the best thing ever. So I will keep doing that and keep doing my own version of my keto-ish diet, which is what I'm now calling it. And it feels really good. Now, if you do want to test ketones, I've talked about this quite a bit, but I'll go over it really quickly. Within the range of 0.5 to 3.0, if you are doing blood testing on a ketone meter, anywhere in between those is great. Those two numbers, that 0.5 to 3.0 is kind of the range of nutritional ketosis and wherever you hit that you feel good. If you're at 0.5 and you feel really great and really can tell that you are fat adapted, great. If it takes until you get to 1.8 or 2 to feel that benefit, do that. It's totally up to you. It does not matter. It's not that you're better at being keto if you're higher. It's not that at all. And it's a really hard concept for us to Acknowledge and to actually get because we are always taught more is better <laughs> in a specific range. You want to try to be as good as you possibly can and that's not the case with ketone production. So don't worry about that. Anything in that range is just great. And if you want to test, I would recommend highly to not test more than once every few days. So maybe two or three times a week at most. It can very easily, and I see this all the time, become something else to obsess over. If you start testing your ketones all the time, there are people that will test at... 3 p.m. and then test again at 3.30 p.m. And guess what? Our bodies have done a lot of things. Even in that half hour, it's not going to be the same. And then you will rack your brain trying to figure out what was wrong or what did I do differently? Why is my body reacting this way? And it has nothing to do with anything that you did. It's just your body. And that can get really obsessive, really out of control. And it can make you spiral and create more of an issue with the keto diet than it's worth. So please make sure to just keep it very basic. Use it as information only so that you understand how your body is responding to keto and responding to the foods you're putting on your plate. That's all it is. And just leave it at that. So a couple times a week until you feel like you're getting that information and can utilize that info and then drop it down to maybe once every few weeks or something like that. And then pretty soon you're at a place where you just know, And you just know when you feel good and you're in ketosis, you know, when you don't feel good and you're not in ketosis and you can go buy your own meter and save yourself some money on those test strips. If you do want to get a blood testing meter, I've linked to two that I love in the show notes of this episode. So you can go ahead and check that out and see which one works best for you. Next up. How can I stay in ketosis while I eat the veggies I crave? Low starch, of course, since it has me over 20 grams of carbs. All right, so this is coming from a listener who is doing a keto diet that someone else told him or her to do, which is the 20 grams of carbs. There is no rule in any keto diet Bible or whatever you're looking at That says you have to stay at 20 grams of carbs, especially if that means that you are not getting in the foods that you crave, that you want to eat, especially when they're vegetables, because veggies are obviously extremely nutrient dense. We need lots of them as females to stay healthy and balanced and without nutritional deficiencies. So taking those out to try to get to your 20 gram limit that someone has created for you can often cause more harm than good. And this is one of the reasons why I started this podcast and started the Fat-Burning Female Project because women were killing themselves to get to this 20 gram limit and causing so much damage to their body. And I don't want to see that ever again. So maybe lift the veil of that 20 grams being the ultimate rule, and instead just really focus on what foods you crave. Get those veggies in that sound really good. Have a good amount of them. And I would be surprised if you don't stay in ketosis. It's not going to be nearly as big of a deal as you think. It's not that as soon as you eat 21 grams of carbs, you're suddenly not a keto dieter. It's not that at all often many of us find that we can eat quite a bit more carbohydrates coming from those nutrient-dense real food carbohydrate sources like veggies would be a great example, of course. And you are just fine. You're staying keto and you feel much better and you aren't harming your body, which is the most important thing out there because you can do any sort of diet, but if it's causing more harm than good to your body, obviously that's... That's not the point. That's not the goal. And you might as well go back and do what you were doing because it was probably better than that. And one more thing about this question that kind of breaks my heart a little bit is talking about craving vegetables and being scared to eat them. So of course, obviously I don't like that mentality around vegetables, but also when you are craving something that you can't eat, guess what? You want it so badly. That's probably why you're craving veggies because all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I can't eat nearly the vegetables I'm used to eating. And now your brain just wants that. It wants what it can't have. And you know what happens then? You break the rules with air quotes, like massive air quotes on that one. This is why I don't see keto as being a diet. I don't think that people should be counting macros to this extent and When they do, it is just part of our nature to break the rules. So if you're craving something and you can't eat it, you're going to eventually not continue on with this way of eating. You're eventually going to give in and you'll think that you failed or you're off the wagon or it didn't work for you. But if we approach it from this place of finding the room to eat what we are craving then it becomes this lifestyle that we can absolutely maintain forever, which is what I want for you. I want you to be in a healthy lifestyle for the rest of your life, whether it's keto or not, just finding the thing that will keep you healthy forever. That's my goal here. So just that mentality alone of trying so hard to stay in that 20 gram place and not eating veggies or things you're craving because of it is going to be at a detriment in the near future. So keep that in mind too. Next up, if I do the Fat-Burning Female Project Self-Study, I can do the regular group project at a later time, right? Yes, that is true. Remember, everybody, the Fat-Burning Female self-study is basically a DIY version of the Fat-Burning Female project. It just doesn't have the group content. There's no interaction with me, no live calls, things of that nature that are good for support. But if you just want DIY, get into fat burner mode and maybe look at doing the project, at a different time or whatever, yes, you can upgrade and there's no extra charge or anything like that. It's just when you go to enroll in class for the project, you will receive a coupon code that gets you the money you paid for the self-study back. That's all it is. The only hard part with that is that you have to kind of fight for a spot in class because the Fat-Burning Female Project sells out every single time. And so you have to kind of be on it for that day of enrollment to make sure you get into class. That's it. But I'd love to have you, of course. Next one. I've been keto for one year. My husband has been also. However, he likes to amend his keto to include higher carbs and non-keto foods like diet Mountain Dew, for example, but still always stays away from processed foods. I don't think he's ever been in ketosis via blood testing. Is he doing more harm than good to his body? Okay. Interesting question. My first question would be, are you aware that diet Mountain Dew is a processed food? (laughs) would be my first question. I think we need to like take a step back here because you say he's staying away from processed foods, but I think probably one of the most processed foods on the planet would be neon yellow soft drink. So that would be my first choice. I'm not making fun of you. I'm sorry. It's just, I do want to make sure that you're aware and that he's aware of the the health impacts of having Diet Mountain Dew, not only is that probably what's keeping him out of ketosis, and I'm saying like highly, highly probable that that's what's keeping him out of ketosis, but that's what's going to be causing him more harm than good, not being in and out of ketosis or not yet producing ketones. I'm way more concerned with drinking things like Diet Mountain Dew than I am what his blood ketone meter is saying. So that's the first thing. If you want to be truly healthy, unfortunately, those things have to go. The soft drinks have to go. They are extremely toxic to your body. Your body does not recognize that as food. They will absolutely cause harm to your blood sugar, even if it's diet or zero or whatever they are. So we really, really want to try to get out of that habit. And I know it's hard. I know a lot of it is part like an addiction. There's definitely some sort of addictive tendency to those types of drinks and it takes a lot of effort to break. I've had a lot of women go through that in the Fat-Burning Female Project and it is tough on them, but there are some great things out there to help with that, like LaCroix Or even kombucha would be a great option, much, much, much better than Diet Mountain Dew. So hopefully you can find something else for him to drink throughout the day to make that a little bit easier. I think honestly, just making that change would probably get him to start producing ketones. I think it's going to be that easy. Of course, he is eating higher carb foods, but if they're coming from things like sweet potato or plantains, fruit, which it says you're staying away from processed foods, so I'm assuming that's what the higher carb foods are, then it shouldn't be a problem. Of course, it depends. I mean, everybody's different. There are people that can have higher carb foods every single day and stay in ketosis. There are people that can't ever, and I know there's a lot of you out there. You're just not in a place with your blood sugar where you can do that. It totally depends on your past eating habits or health habits and what that has done to your health now, your blood sugar readings, your insulin levels. If he's not producing ketones and he really truly is only occasionally having higher carb food, then it might be worth getting his blood tested and seeing where his fasting insulin is, where his HbA1c is, all that stuff, so that would provide even more information as to why it's harder for him to produce ketones. But I have a feeling if he takes out the diet Mountain Dew, maybe just checks in with how often these higher carb foods are coming in. If it's truly daily, maybe cut it down to every other day and see how that goes. If it's every other day, cut it down to once a week. See how that goes. You know, it's just tinkering. We all have to tinker, even their husbands, and and we'll figure. It out for ourselves. But my biggest thing about this question is see what you can do to eliminate the diet Mountain Dew and just see what happens from there. Moving on, can I eat a higher salt diet with keto and blood pressure meds? So I'm not exactly sure what this question is asking. I don't know if someone is asking permission to eat a higher salt diet as long as their keto And blood pressure meds, I'm not exactly sure. But what I do want to say in regards to this question is that transitioning to a ketogenic diet that is based on real food is naturally going to lower your salt intake substantially quite a bit. I mean, real food in general, obviously doesn't contain salt. We have to add the salt to our veggies and to our meats in order for it to taste good, right? Which is okay. And just make sure that you're using a good high quality salt, like pink Himalayan salt or Celtic sea salt, something like that. So that's the first thing is that your salt intake is going to naturally lower quite a bit with keto. And when that happens, a lot of times our blood pressure medication is either no longer required or can be greatly reduced. And I wanted to bring this up because if you are someone who's on blood pressure medications and you are going keto, just make sure to check in with your doctor pretty frequently. I would say once every few months to get your blood pressure tested, see what they think, see if they need to alter your dosing at all, but really work with your doctor if you are going keto and on blood pressure meds, because there's a really good chance you may not need them anymore. I've had quite a few ladies in the Fapering female project say that's the case for them. So be aware of that. That's what I really wanted to get to with this question. I don't know the actual answer to your question about higher salt diet because I don't know exactly what you're asking. So sorry that I couldn't totally answer that. We'll try next time, maybe with a little bit more info. Moving on, sometimes while intermittent fasting, my blood glucose level has gone as low as 50. Is this normal for fasting or dangerous? for me and what I see and what I want to see, this is something I would try to avoid. 50 is really low for your blood glucose. It is probably a sign that your body's not quite ready for fasting. And yes, I do think that fasting is great, but I really, really think, especially for women, there needs to be a period of time to work up to getting your body ready to fast to this degree. Seeing a... Blood glucose level of 50 would be my cue that I'm still not ready. If you are dealing with blood sugar issues or have in the past, you might need to do a little bit more healing there first before your body can tolerate the fasting and be able to stay in this nice, healthy place of blood glucose even when you're not eating. So that's the goal is our bodies are smart. And they are able to, without even consuming food, stay in this really good, healthy range of blood glucose, which if you're fasting, I would say is somewhere between probably 70 and 85. I would say that's probably the lowest I would want to see. Anything lower and I start getting suspicious that it's just not right for you at this point. And definitely at 50, I would say that's not great. I'm super curious to see how you're feeling at that time. I can't imagine you feel all that great with a blood sugar of 50. So that's another cue, of course. Now, the problem with figuring out how you feel with fasting is that when you're fasting, your body is secreting adrenaline and cortisol it's an adrenal response that happens to our bodies as we fast in that time where it's just a little bit of a heightened situation, not having food, being hungry and not eating. And that's okay if your body's ready to handle it. But when you're down to 50... On your blood glucose readings, that is also very stressful. So you might feel okay because you're just pumping out the cortisol. You're causing your adrenals to just totally over fire and go into hyper mode. But you might feel okay because it's giving you this cortisol effect, this adrenaline effect, where it makes you feel like. You have all the energy in the world and you can go, 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 and you feel really alert and focused. Well, yeah, that could partially be because of some of the benefits of fasting if your body's ready to fast. But if not, it's just because you are living off cortisol and adrenaline at that point. We all have had these moments of an adrenaline rush where you feel like, man, I could just lift a car right now because I just had this like really scary moment or something of that nature. It feels like... You're kind of indestructible, but it's really just your adrenaline making that happen, making you feel that way of just being like a superhero. So keep that in mind. That's totally sidetrack of that actual question, but did want to bring that up. But for you, I would say just give it a break from the fasting and really try to eat at regular intervals. I have found that to be a great way to stabilize your blood sugar. And you can do that and be keto. You can eat a keto snack and all these nice keto meals three times a day. And it's okay. You're going to get all the benefits of being in ketosis, which are most of the same benefits as fasting. And you won't be doing this potentially harmful thing to your body just yet. There may come a time in the future where it will be different. But right now, I would just really focus on keeping that blood sugar nice and even throughout the day. Okay. Hi, Sean. I have been listening to you for 10 months now. I look forward to your podcast every Friday morning. I have lost about 56 pounds. I'm very proud of myself and I truly hope to get smaller and healthier. I've hit a plateau for the last two months. I'm in no hurry to lose, but I don't know why I have stopped losing. Can it be my body is comfortable? I still have at least 50 to lose to be at a healthy weight. Thanks for everything. Good question and congratulations for everything you've done for your health so far. That sounds really awesome and you're definitely on the right track. Now, this question is extremely common for any sort of diet situation, but we're talking keto. We're on the Keto for Women show, so we'll keep it specific to that. So common in the keto space, like so, so, so common. I think probably I'd say 70% of the ladies listening today right now have had this question in the past. Maybe they're past it now, but it has been an issue at some point. We all get to this place when we're following any sort of diet change where it works super well and then all of a sudden it stops working and then you just can't get it to budge. Now, I don't know a whole lot about your situation, how you were able to lose 56 pounds, what it looked like on a day-to-day basis, your plates of food, your ketone readings, all that stuff. I don't have the background that I need to totally make... An answer here, but I have a good idea that when you went keto, you probably did so by lowering your food intake and potentially doing some fasting, both really common things that happen in the keto space. And the lowered food intake is sometimes not even something we try to do. We just don't have an appetite for food as often, which is partially a good thing. In my opinion, I think it's not always a good thing because we do need hunger signals still. It's still normal to feel hungry and we need those to make sure our metabolism is working great and those hormones are functioning properly. But anyway, I'm getting off track yet again. And I think that might be something that happened in this case is you started eating less food. Maybe you were counting calories. Maybe you were just tracking your macros. Maybe you were doing an intermittent fasting protocol or even potentially longer fasting protocol. And that all works, but at the same time, it doesn't work because it will work temporarily And then you have to unfortunately unravel all of the damage that was caused during that time. And this damage would be things like your hormones, your metabolism, basically how fast you are able to burn through energy. That is one thing that immediately plummets when we stop feeding ourselves the right amount of food and nutrients. Something I'm super passionate about too. And I think that's going to be the case regardless if you are someone who has plateaued because you were kind of dieting, quote unquote, instead of making sure to nourish your body, keeping your health the main concern and really making sure to do keto in this lifestyle type way, which we talk about pretty much every episode here on Keto for Women and doing so again because it's that important and we need to keep hearing it doing this crash course on keto is going to inevitably lead to this question. So then we have to, again, like I mentioned, unravel and understand what that could have done to our bodies and why it's now stalled out. So I mentioned hormones, which again, something we mention all the time here on Keto for Women. That's why we're here, finding out what imbalance could have happened because of the stress that it caused to be on that diet for the 10 months or however, for losing the 56 pounds, that's also stressful on your body. Even though it's something that's great for your health, it does cause stress depending on how quickly that was lost and all that kind of stuff. It could be a nutritional deficiency that happened because of your diet. It could now be a gut health issue that took place because of your diet. It could be now you're eating a food you're sensitive to, and that's keeping you stalled and unable to continue on with your health gains. So there's just so much. I wish I could go through them all. There is a lot of possibility in what is going on, but... If that sounds like you, the person who kind of went full-on strength keto right from the beginning, saw some really great results and now is paying the price and is stalled out or regaining that weight, I would encourage you, I mean, potentially may want to do the Fat-Burning Female Project or self-study to get back to a place of healing, keto for your body, I think that would be a really good step or just really take a step back. Make sure you're eating enough food for your body. Make sure you are listening to your body and understanding what foods do and don't work for you. It may even be a case where now you need to do some more testing to learn more about your body, your gut health, your food sensitivities, your hormone health, all that stuff to really dive in to your body and what's going on, what happened during those... 10 months and beyond even what has happened in the past, where do you stand with your health? I think that's always a great place to be, the best place to start getting more answers, of course. But the actual question was, is it that your body's comfortable? It's possible. It's always possible that sometimes our bodies just need a little bit of a break and they're going to resist losing any more weight for a period of time. But that just means you focus on your health, which is what we should be doing from the start anyways. If you come at this from a place of health, then you will understand that your body needs to rest a little bit and take that time, but you're still getting healthy you're still seeing massive benefits that don't involve your weight, which is so, so important to keep in mind. And just keep on chugging along. Also, remember that we're all different. Every lady's keto diet is different, and our own diet is different day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. There is no rule anywhere that says that what you did yesterday is still going to work today. So maybe you just need to switch something up. Maybe you need more protein. Maybe you need more carbohydrates. Maybe you need more or less fat. You know, again, tinker with those kind of things too, while learning more about your own body, what is working, what's not. Get some more information about your health status and go from there. Before we move on with the show, I just want to give a special shout out to our podcast sponsor for this episode, Artisana Organics. As you all know, Artisana specializes in the best nut butters you will ever find with the cleanest ingredients you will ever find because it's literally just nuts in most of their nut butters. And they take pride in the quality of their nuts, making sure they are both organic and raw, something that is super important to me and what I select when looking for nuts and nut butters, because I want to get all the nutrients from the nuts that I'm eating and making sure that they're raw, making sure that they're free of chemicals and pesticides is the best way to do so, obviously. Artisana has taken that all into account for us and created these amazing nut butters. They have things like pecan butter, cashew butter, almond butter, And of course, coconut butter, which is so important to all of us in this keto space looking for a nice, high-fat, healthy snack. It's one of my favorite go-tos, getting a coconut butter pack, taking it along with me in my purse or on the plane or in the car, wherever I'm going, just if I need a little keto something. It's so convenient. I would love for you to try Artisana Organics if you haven't already. I know a lot of you have, and you're probably already as much of a fan as I am. But if not, or if you just want to get another order and really stock up, now is the chance to do so because Artisana is giving all Keto for Women listeners 15% off their first online order when they use the code Keto, the number four, women over on their website, artisanaorganics.com. That's Keto, the number four for women to get 15% off your first online order. So definitely stock up. As I mentioned last week and on my newsletter as well, you will want to also check out their holiday flavors that are going on right now for the season. Such a great gift to maybe give yourself or someone else that you want to provide a nice healthy treat for them. So take a peek over at that. You can get 15% off there too. Again, that's artesanaorganics.com, coupon code Keto, the number four women. And a big thank you to Artisana for sponsoring this show and making it come to life. Next up, what could cause my legs to swell? For about two weeks last month, they were about two times their size. I started working out again just prior to the swelling, and I'm not sure if that could have been it. I do all the keto things, testing, water, the correct nutrient dense foods. The only thing that changed was the workout. But why do you think that would happen? The swelling caused discomfort in my legs. It was crazy. My best guess would be a combination of dehydration and electrolyte imbalance. That's what I would think specifically because it came on when you were working out. I'd assume maybe you were sweating a little bit, lost a little bit more water, and it caused this electrolyte imbalance slash dehydration going on. That's something that we all kind of have to be aware of in keto anyways, because we lose a lot of water when we make the keto transition. We also just hold on to less water naturally when we don't have it stored with our glucose molecules. So something we always have to consider, and it may just be that that workout kind of kicked it off for you. So I would make sure you didn't mention in all your keto things that you do that you take electrolytes. And that's something that is just a no-brainer for all of us keto ladies to do. Make sure you're getting your hands on some good electrolytes. I really love the Trace Minerals support, but there are obviously many others. I just think the Trace Minerals has the best quality and at really good high levels. A lot of electrolyte supplements out there just claim that they're all high and mighty, but then they barely have any actual electrolytes in them. So I really like the quality and the quantity in the Trace Minerals tablet. So you can go ahead and check those out if you'd like. But that would be my best guess. The only thing that I would say is just keep an eye on it. And if it does happen again, I would definitely check it out with your doctor just to make sure there's not something more going on with circulation or something along those lines. But definitely be on the lookout and talk to your doctor. But in the meantime, just take your electrolytes and drink a bunch of water, which it sounds like you're already doing, but the electrolytes and good, high-quality salt added will help with that. That's a little side note. I almost forgot to tell you. Yeah, we also have to include good high quality sea salt along with our water. I recommend to start at least half of your water having a few shakes of salt in it that will definitely help with all of this too. So give that a try and let me know how it goes. All right. Can we eat keto in the long term? And if so, should we adjust our macronutrients and supplements? Thank you for everything. Yeah, I've talked about this a few times, but I'll touch on it again. I believe personally that yes, you can be keto long term if that's something that continues to work for you and your body. There will be people where that is the case. There will be people where that's not the case. Safety-wise, I think that it is safe. Unfortunately, there's no long-term study out there to tell us whether, yes, we should be doing it long-term or no, we should not. All we have are the anecdotal stories and studies basically that show people doing really, really well on a long-term ketogenic diet. So we're going off of that right now, which I think is great. And I think that's what we should be looking at. I always think the anecdotal evidence is kind of the best way to go in my personal opinion, but I'm not a scientist. So that would make sense. Now, what I really want to focus on with this question is how we determine that for ourselves, because it doesn't matter if it's safe, not safe, good, bad, what your neighbor's doing, what the blogger is doing what I'm doing. What matters is what you should do. And you will know if your body is good and should stay in keto long-term based on what it's telling you. And this is something, again, it's a repetitive thing in our talks here on Keto for Women because we do really have to start using our own intuition to answer these questions instead of thinking there's a textbook blanket answer for everybody because there's not. So instead of you know wondering if it's good or bad for you, all you're doing is looking for signs that it's good or bad for you. If you continue to feel really really good doing keto, if you have the best energy you've ever had, if your menstrual cycles are the best they've ever been, your sleep is great, you're gaining muscle and endurance in your workouts, your mood is awesome. You love your food. You know, all these cues that things are going well. Like, we just know if you're really, really looking into the health and quality of your body and your life, you just know when things are going well, right? If they're not, or if something seems a little bit off, then that is your sign. Now, it's not necessarily your sign that. Keto isn't working for you anymore, but that version, what you've been doing for the past few weeks or few months or a few years, however long, might need to be mixed up a little bit. Maybe you need to try something different. It could be going out of ketosis, but it could just be adding in more protein and seeing how that goes. But we have to take those signs and then decide what to do and just continue to evolve Our diets will always be evolving. When I say diets, I don't mean like crash dieting course. I mean like the food we're putting on our plate, diet as in what we're eating. It will always change. Really, every day should be slightly different because we're doing different things. We're at a different point of our lives every single day. So it should be a little bit different. And that's good. That's what we are striving for here while making keto a lifestyle. And so, yeah, answering your question, should we adjust our macronutrients and supplements? Definitely. Absolutely. Every day if you want to. Every week, every month, however it works, or whenever it is becoming apparent by your body signals that something needs to change. That's all we have to do. And it makes it so, so easy. So just start tapping into your body. Learn what it's telling you with its different cues. Make sure you're feeling awesome. And if not yet awesome, because of course, a lot of us are working on our health and certain things with our health. At least you feel like you're on the right path. At least you're noticing some things are falling into a place or you are feeling a little bit better and better every day. That's what we're truly looking for and will get us where we want to be. And it could be keto. It could not. It could be sometimes. It could be all the time. You know, I'm not here to tell you exactly how it should look for you. I'm here to guide you into finding your own ability to answer these questions, which is great. That's what we want. All right, next. How can I get rid of the sugar cravings? Cravings drive me nuts. Totally agree that cravings drive everybody nuts, probably, and especially when they are for things that we're trying not to eat that we know won't promote our health. So in order to get rid of cravings, I think the first step is to get into ketosis. I'm assuming that you are potentially already trying since you're listening to this show and interested in keto. So I would first take a peek at that. How does your keto diet look? Are you including the foods that you enjoy? Are you eating enough food? Are you getting enough fat? Are you actually producing ketones? Are your carbohydrates low enough to keep you in ketosis? Are you acting on these cravings enough to keep you out of ketosis? Lots of questions we need to ask ourselves here. Now, as much as I promote eating what sounds good, not being on any sort of restrictive plan because that just backfires and then we do have these cravings and these binges and emotional eating and all that stuff. What I will say... That kind of goes a little bit against that is if you can just for like three to four weeks when you're getting into ketosis or if you've never given yourself time away from the sweet treats, give yourself some time away from the sweet treats. Find other things that you love just as much and incorporate more of those if you need to in order to keep it away. Just don't buy them. Don't have them in the house. Have them nowhere near you. Stay in your bedroom if you need to, to stay away from them, but just give yourself a little bit of time to take a break from them because it's going to help you, first of all, get into ketosis and second of all, break those cravings. I mean, it's so hard to break cravings if you're still having that food. Your brain is going to remain trained, but if we can give our brain and our taste buds a break from that, you will break that cycle. And breaking that cycle is the ultimate way to food freedom because then you're not bound to cravings. You're bound to actual intuitive sense that this is what will make me happy and healthy. That's why I say that it kind of goes against what I promote so strongly, but it's only because it will get you there. It will finally get you to where I want you to be. Cravings will keep you, unfortunately, in this place where you don't feel this intuitive sense, you don't feel free around food. And it may be what's keeping you out of ketosis too. Again, I don't know, I don't have that information from this question, but we'll just talk to the general audience that that might be what's keeping you out of ketosis if you're still kind of allowing the cravings to hit and taking action, I guess we can say, on those cravings. One of the biggest benefits that I found with keto and I know is the case for many, many, many women out there is that you do lose your sugar cravings. That whole system will shut down and you won't want those sweet things because they just honestly don't taste good. Like super sweet things taste terrible to me. I can't even palate it anymore because I'm used to keto friendly foods. And so, you know, a dessert would be 85, 90, 95% dark chocolate. And that's all the sweetness that I can stand at this point. But it's because I went a period of time without having anything sweet at all. I got myself into ketosis. That system was kind of shutting itself down and reprogramming itself to not crave sweets. And then from there, it opens a whole new world where you're now craving like avocado and mayo. (laughs) It's the craziest thing. I know people out there are totally nodding their heads now about that. Craving mayo and ranch dressing, it's a real problem. So yeah, get yourself into ketosis and then make sure that you stay away from those foods for a short period of time. Again, like I mentioned, three to four weeks should be enough and then you'll... Kick those sugar cravings to the curve, and it's so freeing when you do. Moving right along, when going off birth control, do you suggest doing this before, whilst on, or after being keto adapted? Thanks for the amazing content. I think just you getting off of birth control is the number one best Thing for your body and highest priority. So get off of it whenever you can get off of it. Doesn't really matter or need to coincide with anything you're doing diet-wise. You're going to be definitely supporting your body during that process just by eating real food, by keeping your blood sugar nice and stable. Being in ketosis would be great, be an added bonus, of course, but doesn't need to happen. So Just do it as soon as you can and support yourself with your healthy, balanced diet, whether keto or not, and you will be so grateful. How does keto and fasting affect the adrenal system? i talked about this a little bit in a question before, but I'd love to go into this again because, gosh, it's just such a hard place to be in. And I know I've talked about this in the past where I do... See so many benefits in fasting, and I myself had a lot of great benefits from fasting, but I also had some not so great benefits that honestly got me to a point where I wish I hadn't fasted, to be totally honest. I needed to do it for certain health issues that were going on at the time, but it caused some other things to happen that I really didn't want to happen. For instance, I started losing a ton of hair. So I probably lost over half my head of hair in the period of time that I was fasting, which was about three months. And I stopped having regular menstrual cycles. They would happen, but they would be painful. They would be late. They would be heavy. They would be light, You know, all over the map, just not my regular cycle that I was used to and having at that time. The only thing I changed was fasting and it changed my menstrual cycle. And of course, those two symptoms in particular are extremely connected to your adrenal health. Our adrenal health is kind of what dictates how the rest of our hormonal health will be, which we obviously see in our menstrual cycle and how that is going and how regular it is, how painful it is. When we ovulate, All that good stuff where we can kind of track by our menstrual cycle, which is really cool, except when you see it go awry and you're like, oh no, what am I doing to my body and why is it stressing out? And the same thing goes for hair loss. A lot of hair loss that we experience, especially as women, is because of a stress response. So when I saw these two things happening, I knew I was stressing my body out too much with the fasting and I backed off. Now, the reason is, as I mentioned in the show previously, there's really no way around it. Your body will produce cortisol and adrenaline when you are fasting. That's just how it's going to be. It's going to protect you from this period of quote unquote famine because that's what our body thinks is happening when we don't feed it. It thinks it's because there's no food around. And so it's going to try to survive this long period of time without food that may be coming. And it will stimulate the adrenal system. The adrenals release cortisol. They release adrenaline. It's part of the process. Now, for some of us, that's fine. That's totally cool. No big deal. We can handle it because we are equipped to handle a specific amount of stress. And of course, everybody is different. Now, the problem comes in because most of us already have stress going on in our bodies, in our lives, whatever we're doing, whether it's our job, our relationship, how we're eating, what we're eating, our health status, not sleeping, not taking time out for ourselves. I mean, the list goes on and on and on with what our bodies think of as stress in today's world. Now you add on fasting to that. And a lot of times that just puts people over the edge. And that was the case for me. I was handling the amount of stress I had fine, but then I added in fasting and it just was too much for my body. And, you know, stimulating the adrenal glands in that way, causing that cortisol production when it didn't need to happen, it just led to adrenal burnout, adrenal fatigue, we call it. And I started seeing symptoms of that in my hair loss, in the change to my menstrual cycle. And that was enough for me to call it quits and to get my hair back, to get my normal menstrual cycle back. Those things were really, really important to me. As you probably can imagine, losing hair is not fun. And that's how I found out that fasting was not right for me. So I want you to have this information and you can do your own research. If you do want to fast, and want to know if it is right for you, if your body can handle it or not. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for basically any signs that it's not going well. Remember as I said earlier, you do kind of have to be able to navigate through that like super power superwoman feeling that you have while fasting and remember that that is a cortisol and adrenaline release. But beyond that, how are things going? Are you noticing that your health is starting to go backwards or you're not getting the benefits you thought you would? Again, just be on the lookout. That's all we're doing with pretty much all of this is responding to our body's cues and you'll be able to figure that out real quickly how fasting is affecting you and your adrenal system. All right, one more. Can we talk about leaky gut? Specifically, what is the best method to reintroduce foods that have been removed from diet due to food sensitivities? Thanks for all you do. Great question. I love talking about gut stuff talked about leaky gut before, so we'll kind of skip over that. But what I do want to talk about is the food reintroduction. So we are going to take foods out that are food sensitivities. You can do this on your own if you just suspect there are foods that you don't do well with, or you can actually do a food sensitivity test. I run the LEAP MRT food sensitivity test in my Good Gut Project class. That's what I recommend. Always make sure if you are going to do a food sensitivity test that you are doing it alongside a gut test. So you're learning more about your gut health, with a GI panel so you understand not only what your food sensitivities are, but why you have them too. Because if your gut was healthy, you wouldn't have leaky gut and you wouldn't have food sensitivity. So there's a reason why you have those food sensitivities and that needs to be healed as well. Otherwise, you're just going to hop from food sensitivity to food sensitivity and never actually heal. So that's the first thing. You've got to find out what's going on with your gut. And then do what you need to do to heal that particular thing. You know, it could just be. A gut flora imbalance. You need some more good gut bacteria going on in there. Maybe you have an overgrowth of a pathogenic bacteria or candida or a parasite. Maybe you're just not digesting food all that well. You know, there's a lot of different reasons or things that can be going on in your gut to cause leaky gut and subsequently food sensitivities, but you've got to make sure you know what that is. So that's the first step is to take out those foods heal what's going on in your gut, and then you can add those foods back in. That's really the gold standard action plan to actually overcome your food sensitivities. It will... Most likely take working with a functional practitioner of some sort in order to get you the right test to read your results and to get you on a protocol for your gut issues and then take care of that for you. So that may be one route to take. Now you can just eliminate foods that you are suspicious of and then add them back in. And that will kind of tell you if that truly was a sensitivity or not. So you can use just kind of this baseline system to get an idea. So for instance, if it's dairy, if you take out dairy for four weeks and then add dairy back in, If you don't feel good after you eat the dairy or you notice some random symptoms popping up, like your skin breaks out or you have a headache or you get really sleepy, you know, it's not just digestive things we're looking for with food sensitivities. If you feel anything after you add that food back in, then that's basically your way to determine that that is a sensitivity. You know, you're having that immune system reaction to that food. If you take out dairy for four weeks, add it back in and you feel great. Nothing feels different at all. Well, then it's not a sensitivity. So you can use that to determine if you have food sensitivities or not, but it won't ever heal. That food sensitivity will remain a sensitivity until you take care of what's going on in the gut. Now, if you do go through the process of learning what's going on in your gut and doing the right things to take care of that, being on a sort of protocol, for example, I usually have people take out those foods for three months while they're doing their protocol, and then we add foods back in systematically. So one at a time, you're adding a food sensitivity food back in, you're taking about two to three days of just eating that food, keeping everything else the same, You know, not adding in more than one or not having some other weird food you haven't had in a really long time or anything like that, keeping everything relatively the same as the day before, but adding in that food for the next two to three days and looking for a reaction. Again, if you react to that food, it's still a sensitivity. If you don't, you can put it back in and keep it there and then move on to the next food. If it does react still, then you want to give your body a few days of a break before you add in the next food. So that's kind of the protocol for how I do food sensitivities. But again, I'm doing so with them also knowing their status of their gut health and also having gone through an entire protocol, which is nine to 12 weeks of healing the gut. And that happens all in the Good Gut Project, which is an add-on to the Fat-Burning Female Project, a very small group class that I have for fat-burning femalers. So you can do that there if you would like. All right, we're going to cut it off for today. Those were some great questions. Thank you, everyone, for your submissions. We have lots more to get through, so I'm looking forward to having more of these Keto Hot see episodes coming to you in the future. Until then, I will see you next week for an amazing interview you're not going to want to miss. All right, everybody. Take care.